Right, okay, um, we are doing a series, this is the second in our series on being a Christian in a Baptist church and appreciating that lots of people come from lots of different traditions and different types of church. Um, um, we're looking at what, what makes it distinctive about worshipping and being part of a Baptist church. Um, two weeks ago, we began to look at the Baptist Union Declaration of Principle. I can hear you say, there we go. Uh, how exciting. And um, we, we looked at this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we began with first part, Steve, uh, in red. First part, which is really important, isn't it? The Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, is the sole and absolute authority. So to be a Baptist church, we recognise that Jesus is our absolute authority. And you can listen to that sermon on the web if you, if you missed that. Um, and uh, really important. Uh, to us as, as Christians worshipping in the Baptist church, how we organise our life. Now, if we think about the stages of, uh, of, of, the, of the gospel and how it developed, in the gospels, uh, that was relatively easy because Jesus was alive walking around with people. And so when they wanted to know anything, they said, Jesus, what do we do here? But after Jesus died and was raised... Um, then he wasn't around to talk to face-to-face like he was in, in the Gospels, and the authority in the church became the apostles. And since, hence we go now to the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, the second part of Luke's Gospel, and we hear about the work of Paul and Peter and Barnabas and those apostles, who were the authority figures in the church. But somebody has already pointed out that actually the Acts of the Apostles could probably be better named the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because once Jesus uh, departed the earth and, 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 and then rose from, from dead and, and then he was raised, uh, ascended to be with his Father, he sent the Holy Spirit upon the church. And so that's where we are now. We're now in stage three. The Apostles have all died. Um, they're not around anymore. The original uh, Apostles who actually knew Jesus uh, but the church is here, the church is here for good, and we have the Holy Spirit to lead us. But it still leaves the question, does it not, as who has authority in the church? Yes, we take it for read that Jesus is our authority. We take it for read that we work in the power of the Holy Spirit. But how uh, do we uh, know what Jesus is saying to us today? Well, let me go on to the second part of this. This is the first paragraph, if you like, of the principle, but the second part of that, um, that Jesus is the supreme authority, but then the second part, each church has liberty under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to interpret and administer his laws. So we, the people of God, here in this place, have to interpret and administer the laws that Jesus has led us by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is now explains why I have uh, chosen to read two readings from Acts today. Because both of those uh, readings were about the church gathering together in order to make decisions or to sort out issues. The first, in Acts chapter 6, we just heard, um, was about a matter of practice. How do we sort out this problem that the Greek widows are not getting enough food? There was a, an issue that had to be sorted out, and it was sorted out by the church when they met together. The second, in Acts chapter 15, was a matter of doctrine. What do we believe? What do we teach in the church? 
And, and on that occasion, they gathered people from a wider area. Um, uh, in fact, the, all of the Christians got together. Uh, it was like a big conference of all the churches in order to make a decision. So let's have a look. Um, so what this is effectively saying is that the church meeting, uh, the people gathering together, have authority to interpret and administer God's laws. Now, you can probably work out that can easily go wrong. If you take your average bunch of church members and stick them together and say, work out what Jesus is saying, you might land up with arguments. Uh, and just occasionally in church history, that's happened. Uh, just occasionally. But, but I, I want to actually make the point that uh, more than half the New Testament is written as a result of issues and problems in the church. So all of the letters of Paul and, and Timothy and, uh, and Peter and John, they're, they're pretty all written to sort out problems. So if those problems hadn't have occurred 2,000 years ago, we wouldn't have Paul's advice on, on how to... So, so you know, um, in all things, God works for good together with those who love him. So let's have a look briefly at these two uh, stories. If you've got your Bibles, you might like to keep them open at Acts chapter 6, first of all. <clears throat> and you'll note what was causing the problem. The number of disciples was increasing. Church growth. We often, we, we often say we'd like to see our church grow. Will we not? But it brings problems. You know, as the church grows, uh, well, where are we going to put all the chairs? Well, you've still got plenty of room here, folks. So you can invite your neighbors and your friends. You're very welcome. Um, but there comes a point where, you know, growth creates issues. And obviously, the more people there are, the more problems. And therefore, this is exactly what's happened. As the church has grown, there is a complaint. A complaint from the Greek widows that the Hebrew widows are getting more food than them. In other words, it's actually, we would call it today, racial discrimination. That will be the terminology we would use today. So what are we going to do about this problem? We could ignore it, or we could try to deal with it. So what's the process? First of all, the, if you look, the 12 apostles, who are all in one place at this time, this is still the church in Jerusalem, it's before the persecution started, uh, the 12 apostles gathered all the disciples together. They called a meeting. Do you hate meetings? I hate meetings, but I like meeting. Yeah? I think meeting is good. Meetings can be a pain. But this is why I would say uh, a church meeting, think about that. Church is people. Church is the people. Meeting is a verb, not a noun. A church meeting is not a thing. It is an activity. When people meet, that's when we begin to be God's people uh, and we begin to deal with the issues that are involved. So the first thing is that they gathered all the people and they met. The second thing is they had to identify the issue. What is the issue? What is the problem that is being, um, uh, has been identified in the church? And, and it was fairly clear that the one sector of the church, the widows who were of Greek nationality, uh, were being ignored in favor of the Hebrews. So, because don't forget, the church was initially all Jewish, all Hebrew, and it was only later that the Greeks started to come in, uh, then actually um, it was discrimination against one group. Having identified it, how do we deal with it? 
Well, identify the issue, identify the priorities. How are we going to do this? Oh, oh, um, actually, Steve, can you just go back? That, that's, uh, I, I'll, give you, I'll give you the nod when, when we're on to that. You, know, you can have a little rest for a while. So, uh, yeah. um, just in case people are trying to tie together what was on the screen with what I was saying. So, you know, um, it's always difficult in, in the best of times. But um, identify priorities. What are our priorities going to be in this? And it, the very clear identification, the apostles said, our priority is to preach the word and to pray. So when you, when you call a minister or somebody to be, uh, what is their priority? Well, actually, the first thing you call is to preach the word and, and, and to, to pray the, the spiritual leadership. Okay. Um, I'm so grateful this church because this week the drains blocked again and um, it happens quite often and bless me I didn't know anything about it until after the problem had been fixed yes well done Steve and Paul you see now drains blocking is not really a spiritual issue but if it's not sorted it affects the whole church doesn't it it's not nice somebody's got to deal with it, and, and in my experience, it's usually been me. So I'm ever so grateful to be in here um, that uh, we've got people who actually can deal with it. Fantastic. Well done. Um, so uh, the, the apostles say our, our responsibility is not to fix the drains or to sort out the food distribution. Our, we, we are to preach the word and to pray. So what we're going to do is... Uh, we're going to find other people to wait on tables and make sure that will happen. We're going to delegate. So they propose a solution, and look at this. They say, brothers, you choose seven people. I think that's really important. The apostles do not choose the people. They say, you choose them. So when, when we actually um, select deacons, for example, to serve in our church, it's not the minister that appoints the deacons. The people nominate them. So if you're a member of the church, you are responsible for that. It, it, it's delegated to the whole fellowship. You choose them, uh, and how, how, how are we going to choose them? Well, they're going to serve on, on tables, so they must be people with a food hygiene certificate. Mm -mm. No. They must be people full of the spirit and of wisdom. Well, they're only serving on tables. Yes. But it's a ministry. We want people full of the spirit and wisdom to do that job. So there's no hierarchy of the people who have the spiritual jobs in the church and the practical jobs. They're all part of the ministry of the church. It just depends where your priority is. So choose these seven people. We will give them responsibility. We will delegate that responsibility for food. Uh, and we, the apostles, will concentrate on prayer and the word. Great solution. And so they do. They choose seven uh, and uh, this pleased the whole group. Unanimity in the church meeting is always good. Okay. Um, the apostles prayed for them, laid hands on them, and set them apart to do their job. What a wonderful example of a church meeting. Isn't it? If, if all church meetings were like that, wouldn't it be great? Yeah, well, there we go. That's what it's meant to be. Now, notice the wisdom that was involved. Look at the names of the people that they chose. Now, you may not know this, actually, but they're all Greek names. So who are you going to choose to make sure that the Greeks are not overlooked? You make sure that your representatives are 
Greek people so that they make sure that it's been done fairly. Isn't that good? So there we go. You will also notice, of course, that some people in that group, like Philip and Stephen, although they've been chosen to do this menial task, actually go on to be great spiritual leaders and preachers and evangelists. So, hey, there we go. So, and as a result of this decision, what happens? The word of God spreads. That's the work of the church. Spread the word. The number of disciples increase rapidly. More people, more problems. Uh, But, and a large number of priests became obedient. So, wisdom in that meeting enabled the work of God to go on. Fantastic. Okay, let's have a look at Acts chapter 15. Uh, Now, we're going to go over to another meeting. This is a wider meeting. This time, the problem is not a practical problem. It's now a, 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 a doctrinal problem. False teaching. A group of Judaizers were, or Pharisees were trying to say, everyone's got to become a Jew. Um, now, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow all the law of Judaism if you're going to become a Christian. Had that been agreed, we would be not where we are today, would we? How many of you are Jewish, so, um, but it's possible that you might, there may be some people of Jewish background, but but we're all we're all the people who would have been excluded had these Judaizers got their way. So, thank God for that. So, the false teachers come. There becomes a dispute and an argument um, in the church. So, how are we going to sort this one out? This is now when the church is a bit more spread out. It's in Antioch. This problem starts but it's come from Jerusalem. So they delegate Paul and Barnabas, plus some others, to go to Jerusalem to discuss and sort it out. So the first thing is consultation. They go and they consult with the apostles. They discuss the problem. Um, And then the Pharisees stand up and say, the Gentiles must be circumcised. It's it's part of our law. This is a law which they've held for 1,500 years, uh, and and they're not going to let go of that law very easily. So the apostles and the elders met to consider the issue. We need to find out as much as we can about it, investigate, consider. And then the discussion, much discussion. Peter gets up and speaks. Paul and Barnabas get up and speak. We're not told exactly what they say, but they do tell all these stories about how God has worked among the Gentiles. And then, um, uh, finally, after they listen to one another... James stands up and proposes a possible solution. A compromise. At the end of this day, not everybody is going to completely get their way. Some people are going to have to compromise on things that they hold quite dear, but are not actually essential to the gospel. And so uh, they write a letter. And I I love this little verse, uh, verse 28. Uh, well, we didn't quite read this far. It's part of the letter. It says in verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I like that, don't you? You know, there's so many people who are convinced that the Holy Spirit has told them to do something, uh, but it doesn't seem very sensible to us. So I think this is an example of the spiritual gift of common sense, which is often overlooked. But yes, the Spirit does work, but he also gives us common sense. So it seemed good to the Spirit and to us, this is a good solution. So it seems to me, therefore, that there are... I mean, I'll give you an example. I I used to have um, 
a, a man who was, um, uh, he, he was schizophrenic, and he used to contact me quite a lot down in Axminster. And he, he, he read car registration letter numbers and, and tried to make anagrams out of them. And, um, and, and God, apparently his spirit, told him to do all sorts of weird things. On one occasion, he, he saw a V-shape in the sky, in the clouds. And um, he concluded that it was like a Citroen V, and therefore God wanted him to go to France. Uh, well, I said, maybe there could be some other interpretations of this, David. But anyway. Um, Hey, but it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Um, I think we had two examples there of the church meeting. Uh, the Being a verb, the church, the people meeting together. But the question is, now Steve, this is your big moment. If you could bring us on to the next. Yeah, lovely. The next one. The question is this, what would Jesus do? Now, a lot of people... Uh, wear these wristbands. Jesus has, has died and, and risen uh, some years before these events took place. He's not around. What would Jesus do in the church today? So let's have a look at the characteristics of how a meeting of God's people would discern what God is saying to the church. Picking them out of these um, two stories that we've had a look. What can we draw from them both? One, gathering together. We are a gathered church. Not all of us live in Fifehead. We are gathered from different places, but we come together because we feel God has called us to be here in this place. We are a gathered congregation, which is different to a kind of a local community church where everybody lives in the same area. But we're nevertheless, we're gathered. And when we're gathered as God's people, who is in the midst? Jesus. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. Okay, so um, we are gathering, and, and we know when we gather, Jesus is there. It's not just like a public meeting where people uh, express their opinions and everything. It's actually Jesus is present. Okay, the second thing, listening to one another. That is so hard, isn't it? Very often, people come to a meeting with their opinion that they want to tell other people. If everybody came willing to listen everybody else, first of all, I think a lot of meetings would be better. So we do it. We, we, we must be entitled to give our opinion, but we must also be willing to listen and not only give it, you know, a cursory hearing, but actually to listen deeply to what one another are saying. Uh, listen to one another. Secondly, listen to the scriptures. You notice in, uh, in, in Acts 15, James quotes from the scriptures uh, and uh, when we meet together, we will always make reference to the scriptures, and they will often guide us, but they don't actually necessarily tell us about everything. There's nothing in the scriptures about how to mend drains, for example. You know. um, so um, listening to the scriptures must actually guide our thinking, and if, if God tells you to do something which is completely contrary to what it says in scripture, then one has to cast doubts on whether actually that is the right thing to do. Next one, listening to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives gifts to all people. And in um, Peter's speech, he quotes from the prophet Joel. He said, your Spirit will be poured out on all people, your sons and your daughters, old men, young men, servants, uh, 
rulers, everybody. You know, in the past, the Holy Spirit was only given to certain people. Kings, prophets, certain people were given the Holy Spirit. Um, Now, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all people, even children. So it's always lovely when we hear one of the children praying uh, in church. Or, you know, even children can be used for the Holy Spirit to speak to. I, I got a little phrase for this. I call it the democratization of the spirit. The democratization of the spirit. Demos means people. So giving the spirit to the people, hence the meeting of people gathered, the spirit, everybody uh, here has, if you are a believer, have the spirit. And therefore when we get together, we share our understanding of the spirit. And then uh, the final, oh, two more. One, Leadership. Uh, you know, a meeting without any leadership just becomes chaotic uh, with everyone trying to sort of... If, if there's no leader, then someone will assume leadership. It's a bit like Mr. Mannering. You remember in, in the Dad's Army film? It's total chaos, and all they're trying to sign up. And then Mannering gets up and says, Oh, you men, go over there, go over there, go over there. And then he turns to Wilson and said, It's at times of stress that great men come to the fore, Wilson. <laughs> Oh, don't you just love Mr. Mannering? Yeah. Um, so leadership, there are people who are recognized in the church as leaders, and therefore, you know, they have a, a job of, of steering and overseeing how the meeting is conducted. Um, and we don't believe that's just one person. We believe that's a, a multiple thing in a church. It's a team thing. And then the last one, uh, learning to agree. That's not easy, is it? Because if we've come to a meeting with one particular opinion, and we've held that opinion firmly for a long time, it's not easy to change. So we might have to learn to agree. We might have to learn to disagree. And I, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't take me very long if I asked a few questions to find things about which you and I disagree. Yeah, we won't, we're not going to go there just now. Um, so we have to learn to agree, or we have to learn to compromise on something where we can agree on the central part, which is what happened in Acts chapter 15. They agreed that it's about the grace of Jesus by which we are saved. Whether you are a Gentile or a Jew, that isn't the important thing. The important thing is Jesus. So Jesus is our supreme authority. And we must say, what does Jesus want us to do? And we have to agree on the central doctrine. I'm sure there are lots of secondary doctrines on which we could have very different views. But we agree on the centre one. I'm going to tell you a little story. Um, I, I don't think I've told you it here before um, as we come to conclude, really. Um, I, it, it relates to a church meeting that took place in one of my previous churches. Um, it was a very difficult meeting. We knew it was going to be difficult. It was at a time when um, the church had been through a really rough time. We, we'd... Uh, had a big, serious issue, and uh, we'd lost our youth pastor. And the, the, the youth work was being done by volunteers in the church, struggling, really, to try to keep it going after all the problems that we'd had. And so the, the, the young people's leaders were saying, we, we need to have a new youth worker. And some people are saying, the church are saying, no, we don't. We definitely don't need to have one. And, and we came to this meeting where we were going to try to decide whether actually we should go ahead and try to find someone else to come and lead our youth work, you know. 
Um, it was a very painful time. And, and a number of people stood up, and some people stood up and gave very eloquent speeches about why we should not go ahead. And then some of the youth volunteers gave impassioned pleas, said we need someone to help us, to encourage us, to, 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 to train us. And uh, there was a complete division in the church. And then Harry stood up. Harry, bless him, was a retired police inspector uh, from the fraud, fraud squad, red face, and Harry stood up, as policemen do. He said, I have been listening to everything that's been said in this meeting. He said, I came to this meeting firmly convinced that we should not appoint another youth worker. But I have listened to all the arguments and I would like to propose that we uh, go for another youth worker. Sorted the meeting out. He came, he had listened, he had listened to all the arguments, he'd actually changed his mind. This is one of the reasons why in church meetings we never have votes that are postal votes. You've got to be present and listen to what people say before a decision is made. Uh, and uh, so I, that was a, a very difficult meeting that had uh, a fantastic outcome. Harry's gone to be with the Lord now, but bless him, that was brilliant. And so we believe that the meeting of Christ's people is a place where we discern the mind of Christ. We also have wider gatherings on bigger issues where maybe churches get together to try to uh, discern on, on bigger, bigger kind of wider issues in association or, or assembly. But it's actually the local church where these decisions are made. Many. Now, other denominations do that very differently. Some have bishops and synods. Some have, uh, like the Catholic Church, of course, has the Pope and, and, a, and a hierarchical authority structure. Um, the Methodist Church has a, a conference where decisions are made jointly. Um, and so there are lots of different ways that it can be done, but this is a distinctive about how we do it. It still is one question, and that is who makes decisions? Well, you can't have every decision made by a lot of people. Sometimes you delegate, don't you? Like in the, the food distribution, that group have been delegated to deal with food. And we have people in this church who are delegated to be responsible for different areas of the church's life. Uh, sometimes uh, decisions have to be made by the pastor or the deacons. Um, I mean, on a day-to-day -day basis, I couldn't possibly have to phone up everybody to decide everything that I have to do. Um, but ultimately, I am accountable to you. I am your servant, but you are not my master. I'll say that again. I am your servant, but you are not my master. Jesus is my master. So, over the next few months, we're going to be having a um, discussion. We're going to hopefully bring in a new constitution, which um, we, we, we just gave notice of that on, on, on Tuesday, because our one's really out of date, and, it, and we do need to get something that's better and more uh, up to the, the latest charity standards. But it does give us an opportunity to talk about some of these issues, about some things where we can make a decision on how we can do things better. And uh, we're going to be doing that later. But we're going to pray now, because I think we're going to...
Let's just stop and pray. I've talked far too much. Let's just be quiet for a few moments. Um,